Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Thanks, Emma, ever so much. The Disciples Toolkit, week by week now, as we head um, towards the summer Sundays. And uh, we're going week by week, as I said a fortnight ago, to put, I hope, tools into our Disciples Toolkit. And as a kind of spin-off resource, we're going to create around these uh, Sundays a little resource that we can have in our hands that will help us to think uh, about and be a touch point and a reminder and a guide as we endeavor to disciple the people that God brings into our lives. Hashtag TDTK, the Disciples Tool Kit, which leaves you shortest hashtag ever from my sermon series, gives you 139 characters to say something deeply profound to the world outside. Two weeks ago, we looked at the disciples listening, and we put the tool soap into our tool kit, to which Frank Carver rather wittingly said, it's not so much a tool kit, but more a wash bag, because the only thing in it is soap. So come up with something better than that at the end of the sermon and there'll be a small prize of something. <laughs> uh, forward slash on the website, the Disciples Toolkit. We said some really important introductory things uh, last time. If you missed it, I uh, really encourage you to go back and dig in uh, to what we said just a fortnight ago. When we think about discipleship, we naturally think about, as I was saying, our own walk with Jesus. Discipleship is about how I am growing as a follower. How am I becoming more like him? How am I living in the way that Jesus gave us to live? But what we began to see and to say is discipleship is not just about my own walk with Jesus. Discipleship is also discipling and helping others in their own walk with him as well. If this is me as a disciple, or it's you as a disciple, you are you because people have loved you and cared for you and spoken God's truth and God's word into your life. They've helped you, they've encouraged you, they've given you opportunity, they've cheered you on, and that's all been part of what's made you You, people that are further ahead, not in everything maybe, but in something about the Christian journey, have taken you gently or perhaps kicking and screaming by the hand and they've led you to where you are so you've become who you are. And so we are hugely grateful, aren't we, to people that have done that in our lives, to parents or family members or friends, youth leaders, Sunday school workers, teachers, pastors, Whoever they might be and wherever we find them, we should, through this journey, be making sure to say thank you, maybe to God, if they're not even with us anymore. But how about saying thank you to some of the people that have helped lead you to where you 
are. Maybe you're writing to someone that you haven't been in touch with for weeks, months, even years, and just say, hi, we're so, so, or I'm so, so grateful for the way that you took me by the hand at that particular time, and you helped me through, or you helped me grow, you helped me step into whatever it might be. We've all got people that are in our mind's eye right now, haven't we? And uh, we need to honor uh, uh, them. And, and sometimes what's lovely about that is you don't even realize sometimes what you've done for people. Someone who I, um, I didn't really even recognize a few weeks ago came up to me in a crowd and eventually I pieced it all together. And at the end she said, thank you so much for that opportunity. It doesn't really matter what it was. It was a very small thing from my perspective, but it had begun a chain reaction in God's kingdom. You never know, do you? When you create an opportunity for someone to step in, when you grab someone by the hand and say, come, come, let's step one step further forward. And as, a, as, a, as it says in the scriptures, we don't know somebody waters and somebody plants and somebody guides and all the rest of it. So if that be the case, if you've got a blue person in your life, there's nothing political about the colors absolutely at all. Uh, uh, you are a red person, you have a blue, you, that, where's the yellow, where's the person that you're taking by the hand and you're leading them on and leading them uh, forward. Every disciple should be discipling someone somewhere. And that's the challenge, isn't it? In our lives. And it's, And it's not that we don't want to, but we're often at a loss to know how to. How do we step in to these kind of discipling uh, relationships? Well, that in a nutshell is what this whole series is uh, about. The model, of course, is Jesus. His discipleship model. So if we're thinking this morning about the disciples learning, how, how did Jesus teach his Disciples. What was the, the, the method, the journey that he took those disciples on in order to teach them? His model, as we've said many times now, was much more apprenticeship rather than classroom. Much more participate rather than listen. Much more get involved than sit back and watch. It was imitation imitating Jesus rather than simply receiving information from him. When Jesus drew the disciples, he didn't invite them to meet him every other Tuesday evening. He didn't invite them to meet him every Sunday. Let's sit together in church. He didn't invite them to come on a whatever it might be. Effectively, Jesus opened up his life And said, come and be with me. The tool was himself. He was the tool. He was the person that would make the discipleship happen. If we're to disciple others, then we're going to have to accept that we are the primary tool. There isn't a course or a church or a process or an event that we can give discipleship away to in order to let us off the hook from having to do it ourselves. Events and processes and key moments are hugely significant in our journeys. But without the discipling relationship, they do not make the progress that we long for our discipling to make. We would love, I think, 
I would love to give discipleship to sort of farm it out to some kind of consultant somewhere. To a franchise. It would be fantastic if we could buy in discipleship and then we could just have a good time. Wouldn't it be brilliant if preaching did the discipleship and the rest of you could just sit? Now, uh, who thinks Jesus was a poor preacher? Hands up. Who thinks Jesus was an average preacher? Who thinks Jesus was an excellent preacher? An, an exceptional preacher even? Maybe we'd dare to add. If you knew exceptional was coming, some of you would have held on. So, so, so we can't get much better than Jesus. But in those verses that Emma read, it talks about Jesus withdrawing away from the crowds, the preaching opportunity, in order to invest to teach his disciples. Jesus, who was the best preacher we might ever have imagined, in our kind of mega church scenario, we would have had him preaching every night for those three years. We would have wanted him to gather bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger crowds because there's no better preacher or communicator than Jesus. And there clearly isn't. His words have stood the test of time for 2,000 years. If you Google uh, any words of Jesus, you'll get loads of stuff. If you take the words of Jesus out of nearly all the literature exists, the whole libraries fall apart. He, He is a communicator par excellence. And yet, he often withdrew from the crowds. He often was very ambivalent about the crowd. They want food, you feed them. Sometimes he even hid from the crowds. That's how most preachers feel like, to be honest. He did a little bit of preaching, but he's quite uneasy about the whole crowd gathering thing and often will just slip away. Whatever he was saying, whatever his model is teaching us, is that discipleship happens in a close-knit set of relationships and we cannot replicate that in any other way, even if Billy Graham became the minister of this church, which is quite unlikely now, to be fair. Discipleship is not, which is what preaching does most of the time, allowing us to accumulate a lot more information. Discipleship is about being apprenticed into a new way of living. And we can all do that. And immediately you go, I'm not sure I can. Well, take that up with Jesus. Because Jesus believes in us. Jesus has said to each one of us, come follow me. Which in other words, means I believe you can be like me and do the kind of things that I do. Jesus believes that we can do this. And that for me is hugely exciting. Jesus made himself the primary discipleship tool and taught the disciples to do the same. Paul, of course, uh, uses different language to make exactly the same point. He's speaking in a Greek culture. And so he talks about the guardians, the thousand, even if you had 10,000 guardians, 10,000 teachers, They were the people that would teach you the elementary skills that you needed in life. The ABC, the reading, writing, and uh, arithmetic. The three R's, and they don't all begin with R, do they? So I've never understood that at school. The three R's, it's not the three R's. But you would go, as a child, to learn the three R's, the, the basic building blocks of education. And Paul is saying, you've got a thousand of those, 
You can get those anywhere. But what I long for you to have is a father. Because after you would go to uh, school and learn the basic building blocks, you would then go and stand on the shoulder of your father to watch, to learn, to help, to do, to become apprenticed in the father's trade. Daughters with their mother. And Paul says in faith, in, in the journey of faith, you can have a thousand teachers types, and we do, don't we? We've got books, and blogs, and podcasts, and videos, and whatever else. There are loads of those things that will teach us the building blocks. But Paul says, what I long for everyone is that you've got someone on whose shoulder, or behind whose shoulder you can stand. Because that's when apprenticeship, discipleship, really happens. And it's easy for us to enjoy the thousands of guardians, teachers that we have without looking for or being a father or looking for or being a mother in our spiritual lives. So how do we become those people for others? How do we become people who can stand on our shoulders and be, or behind us, and be apprenticed in the journey of the Christian faith. Well, discipling others, firstly, we offer a big welcome. We offer a big welcome. The the model is Jesus. He offered his disciples a massive invitation. Come and be with me. He couldn't have opened his life wider Be with me, not just then, but not then. Come and be with me. Come and share with me the whole deal, the whole gamut, the whole journey, the whole process. As I said, it was not to meet every other week or every now and again or even a couple of times a week. This was a massive invitation. Literally, Jesus opened his life to them. And think about those people that you might have been thinking about some moments ago, those that discipled you. I suspect that the people that you naturally thought about were not just the people that you met at the Sunday school class or on a Sunday morning or at the youth group, although you probably did. The people that will have influenced you the most will have given you a wider access to their lives than that. So the youth leader that influenced you is the same youth leader that took you away on day trips, who who let you hang out in their home. You with me? There's something more going on in the whole discipleship process than what happens in that event moment. And that's the biggest challenge of discipleship. Because I'm happy to help people if I can fit it in, aren't you? I'm happy to help people if it doesn't mess up my routine too much and I still get done what I wanted to get done. But to open up my life, my home, my relationships, that's a different thing altogether. And so at mealtimes, they were there with him. When he went home to Capernaum, Peter's house became the base of the oikos that Jesus was building. When they went home, they went home with him. He couldn't even close the front door. Now, you're really glad you've got a front door, aren't you, sometimes? But Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going I'm to leave this door open. Not to everybody. That's just overwhelming and, and, and relationships have no benefit. But I, I, for my, these people that I'm gathering around me, 
My home, this is their home. My life, this is their life. This is our life. It's not that they had a front row seat on Jesus' life. They also had a backstage pass. Are you, are we prepared to give someone a backstage pass in our lives? Because that's the challenge of being a follower of Jesus. And the more I read the New Testament, the more disturbingly inescapable it becomes. So a big welcome. Let's move on, because that was easy enough. Secondly, in disciple, that was a joke. Uh, suddenly the room's very quiet and a little bit tense, isn't it? Should we lighten up a little bit? Anyone got something funny to say? No, Simon, you said enough hilarious things already. Nicola, that's quite hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Bless him this morning, Lord, all that he's doing. Secondly, then, in discipling others, we invite to join in. You see, Jesus didn't just open his life for them, for them to just sit back and watch forever and a day. The invitation that Jesus gave them was one of participator rather than observer. To be a player in the game rather than a spectator. To get involved rather than to stand back. And so, uh, almost uh, kind of a bit comically, when the, the crowds are hungry, Jesus says, you feed them. They come to him for all the answers. And Jesus is saying to them, don't you forget, you're supposed to be learning to do what I do. You try and work it out. And of course, they're no idea what to do. There's no McDonald's up this mountain. We've got no idea what to do. And Jesus is like, oh, how, as he says so many times, how much longer do I need to be with you? And why is he saying how much longer? He's saying how much longer because he, he knows that he, that he has a, an investment to make. He's reproducing himself, himself in them. They went from being just with him to getting involved and starting to help. Uh, Kerry grew up in a vicarage. Uh, and one of the fantastic things uh, that her mum and dad did in the way that they opened up their home was to help people move really quickly from being a spectator to a player, from being an observer to uh, someone who participates. So very quickly in the dynamic of the household, uh, people would come in, make drinks for themselves and everybody else. It's not because they weren't being hospitable or offering a welcome. It's because there was something profound going on that says this is a place where you can belong. That's your kettle and your cupboard. You can get a mug out. You can make a drink. You can offer hospitality on our behalf because you belong here. Uh, and there was something that taught us something deeply significant about the life that Jesus calls us to. That we are to invite people to join in. It moved from what Jesus was doing to what they were doing. Uh, and you notice how this came together in what John and Anna said a fortnight ago. John and Anna talked about um, the, the way they're trying to share their lives with some others of their friends and the, the, the holidays and the days together and the meals together and so on. And then the invitation to join in with soap. We read the Bible. We listen to what God is saying. This is our invitation to you to join in. And people have been joining in for the last uh, six months, remember, to pray for them and all that they are doing. So in that sense... The disciples coming on board was not just to watch what Jesus did and to enjoy the ride. 
They knew that they were needing to get involved. And they knew that very explicitly. Because when Jesus said, come follow me, in that culture, they knew what that meant. That meant you would come and learn to be like me. I don't just want you to help me with what I'm doing, says Jesus. I want you to learn to actually do yourself what I have been doing. And so very uh, early on, way, way earlier than a, uh, than a proper church would send people out, Jesus started sending people out to do the kind of things that he'd been doing. Go on, off you go. Heal a few sick people. Preach the gospel. Cast out a few demons. Come back and tell me how it went on. If you're going to disciple someone, we need to invite them to join in. Not to do other things for them, but to join what we are doing. And it kind of leads to another point. That if you're discipling others, there are times when you'll have to challenge them. Discipling others, we're not afraid of challenge. Some of the things that Jesus said to his disciples, I would be in trouble for saying to you. Because it seems so fierce sometimes. So aggressive. But if we're going to disciple people well, we cannot be afraid to challenge as appropriate. If we're holding people by the hand and we're drawing them towards and into Jesus, then gently and sometimes not so gently, we will have to talk about beliefs and behavior and lifestyle choices and attitudes and character traits and so on because we love them and we long for them to embrace this Jesus way, which is the only way their lives will ultimately flourish. Jesus loved Peter enough to absolutely go ballistic with him when Peter got it so catastrophically wrong. You will know that however tempted we are to ignore something, however much we would prefer to keep the peace, however much we would like to avoid an awkward conversation, we're not a very good friend when something isn't said that should be said. You with me? I can't say that. She's my friend. I can't say that, I might hurt his feelings. I can't say that, she might be angry with me. It is precisely because you are a friend that some things must be said, confronted and worked through. Because the goal is not simply to hold someone's hand. The goal is to hold their hands towards the life and rescue of Jesus himself. How did Jesus describe where the discipling relationship ended. He, he, he ended it by saying like this, you know what, you, you guys, you've become my friends. To, to be a disciple is to be a really good friend. And we use that phrase sometimes, don't we, about being a true friend. A true friend will go to the hard places and say the hard things. Are you with me? As if there's some other kind of friendship. I don't, sorry about the mic that seems to be keep blowing. Um, as if there's some other kind of friendship that, that doesn't do that. The true friend goes to the hard places. And the true friend says the hard things. And the fact that you're not perfect, and you're not, just in case you're unsure about that, doesn't mean that you've got nothing to say to somebody else. This is nothing to do with the plank and the speck thing that Jesus was talking about. That's about a spirit of judgmentalism. That's pointing out what's wrong when you can't be bothered about what's sorting out with you. That's something quite different. Jesus modeled good conversations about the things that matter to help us grow. And it's not that you're perfect because you're not. 
But because you love Jesus and you're following Jesus, and you love them with all of your heart, it gives you the opportunity to say something in their lives. The reason that Jesus could say something really tough to Peter was because he'd given Peter a really massive invitation. If you don't have the relationship, then keep your mouth shut. The relationship gives you the right to speak. Are you with me? And so there's a calibration about the things that you can say. I will say the toughest things I say to my kids because of the depth of the relationship. Sorry, mate. Bad news. Because the context makes that possible and appropriate and right. And we'd be less than true parents, two friends, all the rest of it, if we didn't do. So discipling, we're not afraid to uh, challenge. And usually, you don't need to say, I'm about to say this in love. If you feel the need to say that, you're probably not saying it in love, and you're certainly not convinced that they're going to receive it that way. If that's how uncertain your relationship is, zip it up, because you haven't got the right. Massive challenge. Fourthly, finally, If we are discipling others, we will need to persevere. Liam's going to come and share with us now uh, around this. Someone who, in my experience, really knows what it is to dig in with discipling relationships and persevere. Give him a round of applause. All right, morning, church. We all good? Okay, so thanks for that, Simon. So I just want to explain how happy I am to be sharing about discipleship because as you start to see now, I've got a massive smile on my face because this is a real passion of mine and I just want to be able to share that with you guys um, to sort of tap on what Simon's been saying from the other three points. So just before I start, I just want to have a brief mention um, of what I'm going to talk about. He mentioned quite a lot, Peter. Um, I find Peter really inspiring because of the ups and downs he went through to get to where eventually he got with, with Jesus. So I'm just going to, um, with the whole disciples he focused on, but I'm going to focus on Peter because as I'm going to share, I'm going to point out uh, four scriptures. So I'm going to go through Matthew 4, uh, verses 18 to 20, uh, Matthew 14, verses 28 to 31, Matthew again, um, chapter 26, verses 69 to 75, and I'm going to finish up with John's Gospel, uh, chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. It should be... Yeah, there it is. Okay, so I'm not going to read all of it because it's quite a lot, but I think we get the gist of what we're talking about here. The points I want to point out um, from Matthew 4 are when Jesus said, um, the start of the chapter, it's actually called uh, the first disciples of Jesus. So as he was walking along, he was... Um, see these guys on the side of the road doing their daily job. In my kind of thinking, anyone other than Jesus, if you were to walk along the road and someone said, I want you to give up everything to follow me, what's your honest answer? Would we all do it? Because I wouldn't. So that must point out there, there was something different about Jesus when Peter and his brother Andrew um, saw him walking past and was giving him this invitation, I want you to follow, give up everything that you've got to follow me. That blows me away. Um, but the final part of the verse towards the end of 20, um, they actually left and done it. So the invitation was there, and these guys knew that there was something different about Jesus. They thought, you know what, we're going to follow this guy. 
and they just left everything. Who could leave everything? My honest thinking right now, no, I couldn't. I've got wife, I've got kids, house. So that's a challenge to everybody, really. Would we be prepared to give up everything to follow Jesus? Peter and Simon and Andrew did. I know it's a different context and different time. There wasn't all this stuff available then. But that's an invitation to us. Would we really follow, even to give away half the stuff, so we could follow him? So I'm going to move on now to Matthew 14, um, chapters 28, verses 28 to 31. Um, and again, we see, I love this story, by the way, Jesus walking on the water. So verse 29, Peter, with amazing faith, he says, Lord, if that's you, I want to come and meet you uh, on the water. That's incredible faith, right? To see him there, Jesus says, as you said in, the, in chapter 4, I want you to come. He gives him the invitation, he invites him to come onto the water. Peter's doing so well, he's walking, and then all of a sudden we see, towards the end of the verse in 31, he sees the wind and he starts to slip. Now, Jesus didn't just leave him there, even when he said, Lord, save me. So Jesus reaches out his hand and he says, I will grab you. But the point that really shocks me here is, is he goes from such a high place of actually having the faith to walk on the water, and then all of a sudden it just crashes. But Jesus still rescues him. He still sticks his hand out and says, I will grab you. This, for me, is perseverance. We're not just in it for the good stuff. We need to be in it for the times where it's difficult. And as Simon said, you know, to follow Jesus, the master, teacher, preacher, um, person to lead you, that is an encouragement to all that. We should be in there in both parts, not just in the high times. So I'm going to stay again with um, Matthew's Gospel. Um, chapter 26. The denial when Peter disowns Jesus. Now, this is a big one for Peter. So we already see his highs. He's accepted his invitation. He's walking on water. We see the lows of falling in the water. Now, this one is probably one of his most hardest things to take. We already see in earlier in chapter 26, starting in, 30, in verse 31, that he says, Lord, I won't. I won't disown you, even though Jesus tells me. He said, I won't, even if I have to die, I won't fall. So as we know the story, um, the servant girl asked him three times, were you with the Galilean, Jesus? No, I wasn't. Were you with this man? No. But in the third time, it says, what really shocks me is it said he wept bitterly at the end of verse 75. So this must, in Peter's head right now, he's gone for this roller coaster of, the ups and downs, and then in his mind, he's done the unthinkable. I've denied him. I've denied the one who offered me everything, and I've denied him. So, thinking right now, if you go back from Jesus' perspective here, Jesus has called him. He's seen him walk on water. He's seen him fall. He's been there through the whole journey. How do you think Jesus was feeling after this? I spoke about Peter feeling sad, and what have I done? But Jesus, he's, as Simon said earlier, he's pulled out everything into not only Peter but the rest of the disciples and here we are disowning his name that must have really hurt Jesus but we all know that Jesus didn't stop there and that moves you on to the last scripture of John's gospel um, chapter 21 which is with a big smile uh, Jesus reinstates Peter so again we see in chapters verses 15 to 17 that Jesus also asked Peter three times something but it's not the same three questions that, he, that the slight servant girl asked him in Matthew 26. 
So we see Jesus say, Lord, um, Peter, do you love me? And he says, you know I love you, Lord. And he says it again, but the third time is a bit, because it actually says that Peter was hurt after the third time, because he remembered what happened the third time last time. He goes on to say, Lord, you know all things. So I kind of took that as if, do you know what, Peter was listening, because he recognises that Jesus knew all things, so they had to go through that whole journey to get to that point, to be reinstated. And then we know from on then he goes, and he goes into Acts, and he becomes a rock of the church. But the thing which really shocks me at the end of this whole thing is Jesus' perseverance. At any sort of time, he could have just said, he's not listening. We all get through times like that. I've got through times like that in my own discipleship with guys. I think, can I do this again? No. But I have to remember these teachings that Jesus says. That's the only way I can do it. And that's the only way we can all do it. Um, following the master teacher, as Simon said. The master investor. Apprenticeship. So as I just want to spend two or three minutes just summarising everything I've said, I just want to point out some encouraging points for you all. Jesus' work paid off. So we saw Peter. Um, He was the rock of the church. He led people to faith. Um, The rest of the disciples did as well. But that's the goal thing at the end. I hope everybody who's journeying with people, can we really say we want to see it paid off? Can we really see the end? Because there's times through my journey, I thought, I'm not going to see the end of this. But that is just, in my eyes, down thinking. We have to be encouraged that if it paid off for Jesus and we follow his words and his teachings, that it can pay off for us as well. So my encouragement you all to be. Have you got anybody in your mind right now who needs a hand for you to go and say, look, I've had a season away from you. I don't know. I had a season because God put me there. But now I'm ready to get my hand. I'm ready to put it in the water. Can we all think of someone right now who we need to do that with? Because I can. Are we willing to go close enough to get to the water and say, I want to grab you, I want to help you, um, and persevere and to pour in what you've done, what people have done? I can think of a couple of people who have done that in my life who have invested in me. And I want to continue to do that for people, no matter what. As long as I'm following Jesus' teaching, I will always get my hand in the water and say I'm ready again. So I just want to encourage you all today that Simon said, I could see so many people here. We're all disciples. We've all got different ways, uniques, but we can all do it. And I'll just encourage you, just think of that person today and get your hand and say, look, this is the season where I'm ready to put the hand in the water and I will be there for you for the tough times. So I suppose it's back to you now. I'm finished. Well done, Matt. Great job. Did it like a pro. If we want people to walk with Jesus, we'll have to help them walk with us first. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for that final encouragement about the life of Peter. Thank you for the way Jesus persevered and grace broke through and grace won the day. Thank you that that same grace works through our lives to others. And when we're disheartened, disillusioned, fed up, wondering if it's all worth it, help us to push through with the perseverance, to reach out a hand for a fresh new day. Father, would you allow us just to settle before you what you would say to each one of us this morning? Where do we need to offer a bigger welcome? Where have we left someone standing on the doorstep of our lives that we should have invited in? 
And who's around us, invited in, part of the journey? And and yet, uh, uh, you're reminding us today that perhaps more explicitly, we need to invite them to join in, to join with us in our journey. And I pray for this morning for those that know there's something hard to say. Hard to say in our homes, in our marriages, with our children. Hard to say with those that are journeying with us. And we would put it off forever. But your spirit is just whispering to us. May all love and grace abound. And may the truth bring freedom both to the sharer and to the receiver in Jesus' name. We're so conscious that the biggest thing that stops us really is fear. I'm afraid that I can't do it. I'm afraid that if I do it, I won't have time for anything else. I'm afraid if people knew what I was really like, they would never follow me, let alone Jesus. I I fear that I wouldn't always say the right things or behave in the right way. I fear that I'd lose my life. Fear, fear. Thank you for the truth that we live no longer as slaves to fear. Let's stand together.